here's the beauty of that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. So tonight it's not wine, it's more like tequila and vodka. You ain't lying. <laughs> you ain't lying right there. I like know. it is a tequila night, baby. Yes. Yes, it, it is. It really is a tequila night. You gotta um, turn that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let this I really like the background music. I don't okay. know. Right. It's one of those. Well, you know what? We'll we'll play it. Who cares? We'll you know what? We'll play it when we set it up. Welcome back to another week of Bipolar <laughs> Girl. You know, I'm I'm kind of liking this rotation every two weeks now, and I'm wondering whether or not we need to permanently do this because this gives people time to actually catch up on the episodes before we actually come out with a new one. It gives um, me time to breathe. It gives everybody time to gr- to grieve to breathe. Breathe. <laughs> not grieve. We're not grieving. Well, you never know. Like you know, we live in this crazy world. We probably grieving all the crazy crazy stuff that's going on thank you for joining us for another week of bipolar girl where we are seriously attempting to build a community and by telling stories over stigma uh, we're heard in over 76 countries worldwide and i co-host this with my wife who was the brains and the creator and oh. thought oh you know a baby <laughs> Um, sexy as she want to be, cum laude, pen grad, Rebecca McDowell, who has been featured on other podcasts, articles written about her, and most recently, you were, what, 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 what were you featured on at the other day? The walk. Oh, the walk. It was the out of the darkness walk for Frederick County. Um, and they asked me to be involved in the opening ceremony with the beads and of course, I wear green beads because I myself has had att- attempts. And I wear teal beads because of my brother and his attempts. Um, yeah, that was that was actually really fun. You know, it was really it was really great. And one of my um, one of my colleagues, um, like, called me and said, "You must be really proud of Rebecca for all she's been through and all that she's overcome." And of course, I know you felt like that wasn't a Blech. genuine statement. So there's this we're going to get into into that because we have to talk about it. We have to talk about you feeling like like you're not worthy. But anyway, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, this so and so." I said, you're absolutely right. I said, man, and I just look at what she's overcome and what she continues to overcome and, and achieve at a high level. I mean, it's amazing. I, I don't think I could have actually done that. But yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can say how was your week, honey. But I mean, part of your week is like really understanding, trying to process the fact that people actually like you. It's not that they, well, it is that they like me, but it's also that people want me around. Um I don't know. A lot of it comes from being young and not being wanted around or I was only around to make fun of. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because we were at an event at Black Rock Center where I work in Germantown, and it was a it was I mean for those of you in DC, it was a go go music, right? So it was kind of like funk, right? And one of my colleagues' partner, she was like. Um, you know, Rebecca, you know, the look that she saw on her face. Wow. You know, um, if looks could kill and Rebecca was like, she was, you know, and Rebecca and, and tell them how you felt. I liked it when you were doing it. Um, <laughs> so I can't keep a secret on my face. I'm not a very good poker player. No, you're not. Um, even if I can keep my mouth closed, my face is going to tell you what I'm thinking. No and offense to all my Christian friends, but she'll let a bitch know she don't like him. Excuse me. And so, <laughs> like, I was watching the party. Everybody was dancing, and I was watching the party. And there were a couple lively people on the dance floor. And apparently, I was making faces the whole night. So, one of Stephen's friends was like, you know, I just, her face was cracking me up and she can't keep the secret. And then another one started in on me. And like in the moment, it was funny because I agree with them and I know that I can't keep a straight face. Um, but afterwards, it was like, yeah, they, there it is. There it is. And what I told her, I said, part of this is cultural. And I have to remember that you have to be sensitive to cultural differences, though we're all American. Well, those of us that are here in the States, there are literally cultural differences. It can be ge geography, you know. Listen, when black people clown you like that, I'm just letting you know they love you. They have nothing but respect for a person. But that could be off-putting to some of my more Caucasian brothers and sisters, i.e. my wife, that it potentially um could be misconstrued the wrong way and once i told her that she was like oh okay but still like it only made me feel slightly better slightly better but that's just that's kind of like i think we we, we mentioned this like the first season or second season when sebastian first when we first moved back here from like laguna beach and martha's vineyard and you know via Marth you know when we first moved back to dc in the chocolate city with mostly african-americans they were teasing him and then here but they meant it mean they call it joning but they took it too far they meant it mean they were mean but they took it way too far but it's kind of one of those cultural things that like when you're kind of like talking to a person and you're teasing one another, like, you know, you have to understand that it is a cultural thing. You fire back. You just fire back. And I, we, I, we need a black person on so we can confirm or deny. I am a black person. No, we need black a second opinion. God, I'm telling you, it's just like the world with dealing with white people. You always got to have a second opinion when you're black. <laughs> no, I want to hear how somebody else explains it. Um, that's true. You know, maybe I'll ask one of them if they want to come on the show. We could get Daria back on. Daria. Oh, yeah, Daria's great. Isn't she's, she from PG? She's from PG. Prince George's County. I love PG, though. Oh, yeah, because now they're real bourgeois over there. Oh, they are. Prince George. Yeah, Prince George. Well, you know, with gated communities, you know, you can be that way. <laughs> Although sometimes that seems awfully attractive to live in. No, so. I just want to hear from other people's perspective how it's cultural. No, it's true. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we, you know, it, it's an interesting conversation. And I, I think that, like, I think that what we forget 
in all of our educations, all of our exposure to nationally and international like existences, we forget that in America, we literally, we have distinct cultural differences and, and it probably exists everywhere. I can only, I mean, of course, if for me, duh, Canadian, duh, the United Kingdom, but in here in America, like the only duh I really have is, well, North, South, maybe black, white, because- Hispanic. Hispanic, yeah. I mean, it, 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 and now we have the in Indian. Yeah, that's the Indian. <laughs> Did you just say that? The well, Indian culture. Oh, oh, the South Asian. Yes. Um, so, which you know, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I was at an event for LGBTQ. Uh, I, uh, coming out day or something. It was through Gaithersburg, the city of Gaithersburg. And it, it my, my colleague was to my left, who was African-American and female. Another colleague was to my right, who was Caucasian and male. And, 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 and he happened to be gay. And I, you know, and then there was me in the middle who was sitting at this table and up comes a guy who works for the city of Gaithersburg and was like, turns to my Caucasian male colleague and says oh hey my colleague must have been talking to you um you know to recruit you here and he and it was funny and then my colleague says no that was steven and i was like i was like yeah yeah it was mean and i just laughed and he and this person stepped back and said oh my gosh um person said oh my gosh i need to check my biases like um in check hey amy hey. Um, and i need to check my biases in check because here i am as the white male automatically assumed the other white male was the one who was leading the group and uh it was really it was really um it was really interesting from that perspective to, and then he was like you know what we need to really check our unconscious like bias let me see. Oh, there's Amy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Oh, Amy. I think we lost her sound. Okay. Well, now that we've gone through our weeks, this this is our Halloween show. Oh, hold on. Um, there you go. <laughs> this is our Halloween show. Amy, uh, Dr. Amy Jaramus is joining us. We're going to talk about a lot of different things um, surrounding Halloween and people with mental illness, things like that. Um, Amy, you there? No. She was just here. It was scratchy. It was really odd. Yeah. So I don't. You set, set this show so up for me because I don't really. Understand. We're going to talk about mental health stigma and horror movie horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of therapists who are portrayed in famous horror movies, um, both as heroes and the villains. Um, like Hannibal Lecter would be like the villain. Mm. Um, and why sometimes therapists show up in such scary um, imagery and I don't know how to say it, in, in our culture, in our pop culture. Why, why do they show up as scary in our pop culture? That sounds interesting because I know that I remember um, I remember when I was like five or six, I think my mother took me to Friday the 13th part two or three movie. And I remember after that, I became a bedwetter. <laughs> That's a lot of information to share on the show. I don't care. You know what? I'm 46 years old now. I'm too old for drama. And like if someone wants to teach me. He outgrew it. it. 
Yeah, of course I outgrew you it. You didn't say that. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I outgrew that. Uh, Amy, are you with us? She might have to log out and log back in. All right, Amy, you may have to log back. Maybe we'll say that. She can um, probably hear us. Um... So while we tee while we tee that up, that's that actually is interesting when it comes to Halloween, because as a Christian growing up in a Christian household, well, well, it's loosely I say that loosely, you know how that is. It um, changed over time. It changed. It morphed. It, it was always yeah. It was it was more like God knows my heart, but you know okay. But whole, then it got. It's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. I can remember we never really did Halloween. We would go to like, you know, fall fest, harvest festivals. Kind harvest of, didn't, we didn't festival. call it harvest festivals then. It was kind of like, oh yeah, we're gonna do our own thing because we are Christian and we're gonna do it. You know, we we'll do it our way, and that was great. But you know, the older I get, I don't really care. I mean, I have my <laughs> kids now, and I really like. Yeah, it just doesn't bother me. Amy, are you with us? I am. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yay. Yes. Perfect. Hear you now. How are you? How was your week? Good. Busy, but good. Good. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for always being on the show. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't dumped us yet. So it's great. No. It's <laughs> always fun. Yeah. <laughs> it always goes really deep. I like it. Yes, we try. We try. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to have like my own like moments now and talk about how I was traumatized because no one let mm -hmm. me have Halloween when I was a kid. But Rebecca set the show up a little bit. And how do you want to lead mm -hmm. into it? So if you don't mind, I'd like to um, kind of start by telling a story that I feel like kind of illustrates the difference between ways people are portrayed in horror movies when they have mental illness versus how it kind of plays out in real life. Okay. Um, some of it's from my clinical experience. I've changed enough details to de-identify it. So I kind of adapted it so it wouldn't be recognizable, but it's close enough to what actually happened to kind of illustrate a point, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, if any of you have seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, you know, pretty good horror movies, um, classics, and at the start of the first one, you find out how Freddy Krueger was conceived. Uh, his mom was, I think, working at a mental um, health facility, but it was like a seriously horror movied up one. You know, mm -hmm. kind of the, it looked, you know, dark, scary with cages and stuff like that. Right. Um, and somehow she got trapped in the mental health facility in this psych hospital overnight with about 100 people with mental illness. Right? Right, right. And they assaulted her. And that's how Freddy Krueger was conceived. And so that's how one of our classic horror movies portrays a psych hospital, people with mental illness as violent, scary. And not only are they violent and scary, you know, if they reproduce, then that's those children are going to be violent and scary. Mm -hmm. So Freddy's like violent and scary the next generation. Now, some years ago when I was working in community mental health, um, it was an older building and there was a thunderstorm and all the power went out. And for reasons we don't have time to go into, but it would be really cool sometime to do a show on like mental health and architecture. There's some interesting stuff there. But um, the in this particular facility, most of the groups and things happened in the basement. 
you know, admin and the counselor's offices were on upper floors, stuff like that, which, you know, I realized at the time was wrong, but, you know, that wasn't within my power to correct. But anyway, so you ended up with a whole bunch of people with mental illness stuck in a basement during a thunderstorm, right? So there are parallels to the Freddy thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I was in my office when this happened. I couldn't find my supervisor to see what he wanted me to help with or whatever. So I just took off and went down to the basement. There were a few other staff members. You know, we by that time, most of us had cell phones. The cell phones had flashlights. Um, there weren't really any lights from the emergency generators down there very much because the um, it looked like some of the light bulbs had kind of died since the last time they were needed Right in the emergency lights. Guys... Um, I went and got my battery-operated speakers. We all plugged our cell phones and iPods into these speakers and turned it into an enormous jam session. <laughs> That's awesome. That's how this, that is how this actually plays out in real life if you've got, you know, good staff members. Like, I kind of got it started just to give us some space to think, okay, how are we going to play this? How are we going to keep this organized, keep everybody calm? Right. And it just kind of grew. And a lot of the uh, clients, you know, had their phones or their iPods. Right. And they were like, can we play this song? And so all we really needed to do was, you know, calm down the few that were really um, getting scared. Nobody got violent. Nobody got that kind of upset at all. And it had to have been at least 100 people. Um, But some needed help kind of calming down anxiety, which is reasonable. Um, It was dark. So we used the flashlights on their phone if they needed to go to the bathroom or something. Right. But it was chill. Every once in a while, one of us would run upstairs to see what was going on with the storm so we could report back to them. But, like, that's the difference between how people with mental illness are portrayed in horror movies, that the birth of Freddy Krueger thing, Mm -hmm. versus we jammed. Everybody brought out their best tunes, and we made as good a time of it as we could. Wow. You know, that's (laughs) – those are two very distinct – stories i uh-huh. think we should start with what are the or okay not necessarily the origins but what is the motivation behind demonizing mental illness this way i mean i know when you look at old medieval literature yeah. or even even literature in the renaissance or even shakespearean periods mm-hmm. you see that it's always the drunk or the mentally ill person that person is always either fodder for comic relief or the mm-hmm. one who has destroyed families mm-hmm. like where does this come from in our human psyche the pathology a lot of it is not being able to understand it right the mm-hmm. stig- and that's where the stigma comes from they can't understand why you are like this right hmm well, I mean, I just remembered it was early, what, 19th, 19th century, 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, centuries when we were putting people in the hospital for having mental illness. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and also giving them electric shock. Mm-hmm. And then so every every culture has had to figure out what they're going to do about people who have what we would call a mental illness. There are right. certain cultures where maybe somebody who heard voices or saw things um under the right circumstances, they became religious leaders because they could appear to walk between worlds in that way. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, there was that. Um, in other cases, you know, they were imprisoned. Obviously, a lot of them were probably murdered. Um, some of them, you know, became priests. Eventually, there were mental hospitals, but they were not nice places. 
Um, yeah, it's where they, scary. Yeah, it's where they started experimenting on the mentally right. ill. Well, the question for me is where you where do you draw the line between someone who is mentally ill and someone who just have supernatural abilities if you believe in that kind of stuff? And then also, even with that said, where is the demonization? Because where do you go from a religious leader who is seen thought to hear the voice of God or gods, depending mm-hmm. upon their religion, whether and, um, you know, and, and then where do you draw the line between that and, oh, my God, this is psychosis or, you know, some sort of clinical issue? Like, I, I, I don't understand. You remember, we touched on it a little bit two weeks ago. Like, yeah. where does that line or, you know, where do you draw that line? So, I mean, a lot of people with mental illness obviously see things or hear things that other people cannot see and hear. I mean, think about how mania would appear to a medieval mind. This person must seem to have suddenly been imbued with superpowers. Right. What is happening to this person? And if you're in a world that thinks primarily in a religious context, and you're in a world where the idea of maybe witches and demons is a lot more familiar than it is to a lot of people in our world. Right. You know, think how a mania would be interpreted. And then afterwards, maybe that person goes into a depressive episode and they're completely exhausted from um, and wrung out from the experience. Right. No, it could very be well be interpreted as, you know, demonology, witchcraft, whether they were the victim of it or the perpetrator, whatever. I mean, I live in Chicago. There are still places in Chicago where people have exorcisms. So I think a lot of it, at least the way we see it, comes from those old days of like witch trials where people genuinely believed in and feared demons and things like that. Yeah. Um, And then just the scariness of some of the things that happens, like also in a world completely without psych meds other than alcohol and opium. Well, if that's the case, then explain Dante's Inferno. Like, you know. Dante wanted to tell a story with all of his best friends in it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he did. I went on a nice trip with my best friends and here's what we did. But explain this idea of purgatory christian values mm-hmm. uh, within I mean, the context of what we're talking about of no, course no i know but mm-hmm. i'm just saying purgatory yeah. comes from the bible baby purgatory mm-hmm. comes from the bible that's right. where they got that idea and then it just grew beyond that mm-hmm. and purgatory is kind of a halfway point to hell where it's sort of temporary and people can be prayed out of it Yes. True. Yeah, right. Because right. remember the babies who die, yeah. right. uh-huh. they go to purgatory. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. Although in, in, it's interesting too, I don't want to get into a theology discussion, but this is actually fascinating how how even th- th- like sort of theology changes throughout mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the centuries. It does. It <laughs> changes I, a lot. There's really mm-hmm. no talk of purgatory in modern Christian no. thought, theology. It's, it's, really it's black or white now. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a little, well, and, and it goes down to like, um, you know, one of my old colleagues, her father was an intellectual um, and a theologian, and he talked about, and, he, and it was one of his things that he talked about in his book was mature intellectual faith, which is not like, it's not like this voodoo faith that people have a tendency to have. And, but anyway, so, but, and which ties back into the discussion, like, Mm -hmm. what do you do? Like, I mean, if you're a mature, have mature, if, 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 well, that's not even the discussion. Discussion is really talking about Mm -hmm. like how we demonize the mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Like, 
but I mean, only some of us do because right. Amy has a point. Like there's a tribe in Africa who, if you're mentally ill, they just, the, the village takes care of you. They make sure right. that you eat. They make sure that you're clothed. Right. They make sure that you have money. Like they all surround them. But there are other villages where like they're beaten to death with sticks and stones. Right. Like, so it just, it really depends. And it's our culture mm -hmm. that demonizes it. No, right. You're, you're and then in the West Indies, like a hundred, even a hundred years ago, there was kind of anthropological research where in that culture, people who clearly had what we would call schizophrenia, it was still very disruptive to society, but they didn't care about the hallucinations and delusions. That was normal for them because their spirituality could encompass the idea of the unseen, mm -hmm. right? Right. It was when somebody's behavior started to cause them to be separated from society and disrupt the community. Yeah. Right. It was those tight community bonds being threatened that for them was the core of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And when somebody really needed to do something um, about that. So then, you know, if you don't mind, if I kind of. No, keep no, going. No, this no, is, no. Else, but this like, is fascinating, Professor Amy. I feel so, like you have your professorial hat on today. Yeah. So like there, in kind of the 1840s, I think there was this guy uh, named Mesmer. He was kind of a, a sideshow hypnotist. There were a lot of them back then, but for some reason he kind of got taken a little more seriously because he had a lot of people convinced that he could cure pain, cure illness with hypnotism. Mm -hmm. And eventually that's literally the root of modern psychology. No kidding. Right. There were no psych meds yet back then. And so, you know, fast forward a few decades and you've got doctors using hypnosis in hospitals. And that was the first type of therapy when they discovered that, okay, there was actually a little bit of something to what Mesmer was doing. Right. That hypnosis actually could, you know, change those outcomes a little bit. If you talked about your problems, even physical pain under hypnosis, and that's where we get therapy and it gradually evolved to what we got now. But at the same time, um, in some parts of the Western world, uh, England, for example, um, mental hospitals were tourist attractions. You could pay, you could buy a ticket to go look at the mental patients mm -hmm. Get out. and whatever okay. was happening with them. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. In fact, they, um, they Queen Victoria- every, They turned everything on. into yeah. a sideshow. Mm -hmm. Anything yeah, exactly. that they could get money for, they let you in if, uh -huh. if you paid the right price. Wow. So is there, there's a sideshow piece to the history of psychology wow. and mental health treatment. And at the same time, to kind of draw on the whole horror movie theme, there are two therapists in a mental hospital in the book Dracula. So as early as 1897, psychology made a big splash in the horror world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with Dr. Van Helsing, classic character. Um, and there was kind of a student that he had mentored who was now a doctor of his own, who was a character in the book, uh, Dr. Seward, who had his own mental hospital and one of the patients at the mental hospital who definitely had some violent episodes was one of Dracula's victims. Right. Mm -hmm. So the whole character of Dracula was tied in with the idea of mental illness and the implication that a lot of Renfield's mental illness was from Dracula's influence because Dracula kind of needed a man on the inside to be his spy. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, in his juice box. Um, <laughs> in his juice box. <laughs> well, that's kind of how, like the Dracula of that book was just cold. He wasn't kind of the romantic, sexy. I mean, there's definitely something erotic about it, but 
Like, he wasn't the romantic vampire, you know, of the 20th century. Yes. He was pure predator. Yes. So, yeah, when I say Renfield was his juice box, that's basically how Dracula would have seen it. That's fascinating. And then... Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so in this book, it's cool because the therapists are among the heroes. Van Helsing and Seward are among the heroes. And part of that is because they knew hypnosis. And Dracula had mental powers. If he had bitten somebody, he could control them and read their mind. In fact, he used the mind of one of the women in the book, Mina, to spy on what the others were doing to try and stop Dracula, to have her spying on the men who were trying to stop Dracula. But Van Helsing, um, the kind of older mentor, he was apparently he was like a medical doctor, a lawyer, and a psychiatrist, so... That's impressive. Um, yeah, he had a lot going on. That is pretty impressive, yeah. I'm looking at more grad school like that. Like, I literally told my family, if I ever talk about grad school again, shove my head down a toilet and flush till I think better of it. Do not <laughs> let me do it. Um, and this guy's, like, a qualified lawyer, qualified MD, and then re-specialized in psychiatry. But because he knew hypnosis, he could turn Dracula's mental weapons against him and use the people's, um, the characters' minds to go spy on Dracula and figure out what was going on with him. And that was central to their being able to defeat him. And it was a kind of science versus superstition war. You know, it's interesting in these early stages of psychology, it sounds uh -huh. like the time when when MDs, when physicians were engaging in quack science before it actually was regulated. Yeah, but quack science is what we get before we get science science. Yeah, I was going to say quack science is the beginning of science. Yeah, what? you just have to recognize that it's quack science and work through it. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. No, seriously, like, you, you two both know that with modern psych meds, half the time, we don't know how yes. they work. Yeah, it's just a guess. That's Half true. Half of it was discovered by accident. That's true. It so, so honestly, psychology is still at this very early stage. But so, like, by the 1890s, you know, the idea of the therapist, the idea of, you know, therapy in the form of hypnosis mm -hmm. had gotten merged with the horror genre in one of the most famous horror books ever written. Right. Um, and, you know, that would continue, I think, like, in the 1930s, there was a book called Dracula's, or a movie called Dracula's Daughter, where Dracula's daughter was actually talking with a therapist to see if therapy could cure vampirism. Was it, but wasn't the early stages of vampirism, was this afterwards where it was like sort of a, um, oh God, what is it, a metaphor for homosexuality? Mm -hmm. That's kind of, we study that in like ancient, well, in early, what is it, eight, was it 18th century? Uh -huh. Um, am I right on that or am I missing it? Some of the books def and movies definitely were. Right. I mean, like the big vampire show right now is Interview with the Vampire. And that book was absolutely central to the gay community in the 70s because it was the first time in a serious mainstream book they'd been completely out about the fact that two main characters were both men and in a romantic relationship. Interesting. So, yeah, absolutely. You're right. There is that piece of vampirism being connected to homosexuality. And the only reason I say that is because it mm -hmm. wasn't until recently that they were still tie tying homosexuality into a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. Right. They were trying to pray it away, trying to uh -huh. conversion therapy, yep. you know, all these things that should be outlawed. Well, conversion therapy is illegal. The problem is that the only way it's enforceable is if you've got some kind of a license. Like, no licensed therapist 
Well, in, in Illinois, where I live, in D.C., in a lot of states, it's illegal. There are other states where it's not. Wow. So, but in the states where it's illegal, nobody with a license is allowed to practice it. But there are like religious leaders, life coaches, people who are not licensed by the state. That profession is not licensed. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. I just feel like, go ahead, honey, were you going to say something? I said, that's what scares me about life uh -huh. coaches. Well, life coaches, oh yeah, life coaches are the biggest, like, yeah. They it, just scare me because me in a, they just can say whatever and there's no training or anything. Right. And I've known a few who are very, very good, but yeah, it is rolling the dice. Yeah. Right. No, it's true. I have a couple too that mm -hmm. I've been. I'm, I won't say anything on the show because I don't mm -hmm. want them to be. But I do have a concern, and, and they will yeah. admit that they will admit as in terms of life life coaches, um, there is a line. You get mm -hmm. to the line, and then you hand off to the therapist, or mm -hmm. you say, "I'm working with you on X. We're going to storyboard. We're going to work on goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. and you're going to work with your therapist on PTSD." Mm -hmm. You know, but the biggest, but I guess the bigger point here is what I'm hearing you say in today's lesson. That's what I, mm -hmm. Professor Amy, um, mm -hmm. is that there has been profound demonization of those with mentally ill, uh, those who are mentally ill from the dawn of time. Yes. Mm -hmm. You've always had yeah. to figure out what to do with these people who did not fit in and who's more of an outsider than somebody with mental illness. Yeah. Right. Now, what about like movies where the doctor is is the the sick person, like Hannibal Lecter? Yeah, that's the one that comes to my mind. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes the therapist is just shady. Like maybe they're yeah. basically well intended. They're not exactly the villain. Mm -hmm. um, there was an old 1960s TV show, Dark Shadows, that was ridiculously popular. Like really, really, really popular in the 1960s. Uh, there was a 1990s version, and then Johnny Depp did a version of it. Um, not my favorite. Right. I, I like it as long as I think of it as an affectionate parody and not actual canon. Um, so I've got opinions about Dark Shadows, but there was this psychiatrist character, Julia Hoffman. Right. Um, and she was really cool. The vampire Barnabas Collins was originally kind of in the cold predator Dracula mode. Mm -hmm. and he had kidnapped a local girl who looked exactly like his fiance from 200 years ago and was trying to use vampire hypnotism via a music box to convince her that she was this woman from 200 years ago that Barnabas was once supposed to marry, but right. that he cheated on her with a witch who knew voodoo and it got all complicated. Oh. Um, stay so, away from those voodoo witches. Why stay away from those voodoo but, women? <laughs> like in this show, the psychiatrist Julia Hoffman, Dr. Hoffman, is kind of this morally ambiguous character at first because she's really confused. She enters the picture when the young woman escapes from Barnabas, but she ends up having a psychotic break and she's in a mental hospital and this woman is one of her treating psychiatrists. Now, Dr. Hoffman, our psychiatrist character, decides she needs to, you know, get a little informed more information. So she kind of takes off from the hospital for a while to go to where Maggie, the young woman lived, try and figure out what actually happened to her. How much of this is real? How much of it is psychosis? How much of it is any of that? Um, and she ends up figuring out, oh my God, it's an actual vampire. And she decides that being an MD, she's going to cure vampirism. So she actually approaches the vampire and she's like, um, I think I can cure you. 
medicine is different nowadays than it was in like the 1790s. Let me have a try at actually fixing this. Wow. And he's a little skeptical and regularly threatens to kill her if she screws it up. Um, but she tries. Problem. She's seriously hot for him and everybody can tell. And he can wow. tell. <laughs> so all of a sudden she's under his power because not only can he threaten her, he can manipulate her. And the show doesn't imply that they were ever physically involved, but right. that he can totally manipulate her with that. So now she's not exactly a villain, but she's very much in the power and under the influence of one. Had her own tricks turned on her, basically. Wow. And the, the show progresses, everybody's roles change. The vampire becomes more of an anti-hero, not exactly a bad guy, but the guy who, you know, do the dirty work, kind of, mm. to protect his family. And Come she becomes his best friend. And they basically doctor who their way up and down the family timeline, timeline trying to save this seriously disturbed family from themselves. Um, but it's this interesting thing where they play with the idea of the therapist where She's kind of a hero in the sense that she's trying to help this young woman, and then she's trying to help this vampire, but she gets too caught up. Mm -hmm. That's um, like, you just explained the Joker and Harley Quinn. Or exactly. Hannah. Yeah, that's the, the exact... Right. Like, mm. And so that kind of paves the way for the therapist as villain. So like you said, Hannibal Lecter. And that I think is where it gets really interesting because the therapist as hero is cool, but then you get this flip where, okay, but what if the therapist turns to evil? If the therapist has this kind of power over people's minds, mm -hmm. if they can really manipulate people like that. <laughs> and Sansa Lamps is kind of extra fun because it takes the supernatural element out of it. Yeah, that movie scared me when I was little. <laughs> Same, and it was one of my all-time favorite movies. Yep. I still love that movie. Yep, me too. And so you get this idea of, okay, because a therapist is a familiar figure, and you know, by the 1990s, it was established in culture. This is supposed to be a helpful figure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but then this movie, among the many things it does, it asks this question, what if the therapist goes bad? What if the therapist takes all those abilities and decides to use it for evil, for manipulation? Mm -hmm. um, and then of course there were you know other shows and movies that introduced you know evil therapist characters and that resonated with a lot of people because there have been really shady therapists they have yes they uh -huh. yes. yes well the guy who I mean he was a doctor not a therapist but think back uh -huh. to the guy who started lobotomies uh -huh. true he didn't know what it was doing. He just knew that it fixed them. He had no idea that he was scrambling their brain and like making them. It was making them. Right. Yeah. There's this he very vague theory that if you could find the mental illness in the brain and jab a stick into it and destroy that part of the brain, it'd be all good. Yeah. Which I honestly mean, has a slightly vampiric quality to it. That's how you destroy a vampire. You shove a stick in them. Because that Kennedy's sister. Uh -huh. One yeah. of the Ethel? Kennedy sisters. Yeah. yeah Ethel. Ethel. Yeah. Ethel. Yeah. They did that to peace. her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was really that was tough. That was tough. That was a different time, and I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm hoping the family would have done something different now, you know. But yeah, I mean, it was sad that they used that kind of those kinds of methods mm -hmm. for. But it's very true. You stick a stick in a vampire, you're gonna jab a stick up into somebody's mm -hmm. brain. Ugh. Uh huh. And as imagine, yeah. But like, as as bad as some psych medicines can get. You know, that's what stopped the lobotomy. 
Yes. Um, also, I think the eugenics movement. Ooh. Oh, that was awful. Yeah, they because yeah. they used to experiment on the mentally ill. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, but not only yeah, not only experiment on them, but sterilize them to make sure they couldn't reproduce and try to get rid of mental illness that way. Yeah, that was one yeah. way of trying to get rid of it. Uh -huh. I guess from the practical sense, I mean, since you know the I don't know how what percentage of mental illness is actually genetic mm -hmm. or what what is the genetic component. I mean, it would make sense that someone would draw a conclusion, whether logical or illogical, or you know, to to actually just preventing procreation. Well, they didn't right. take into account trauma. Mm -hmm. that's, that's true. They just assumed that it came through family lines. And so if you cut it out of the family, you'll be fine. But they didn't take into account the trauma that can cause mental mm -hmm. illness. That's true. That and they kind of justified it with the idea, well, they're mentally ill. They can't possibly be able to make that decision. Yes. Right. And Which is a really, really broad overgeneralization to say the least. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So no, I love it. There's, there's been enough really bad things done by therapists in history that there was just enough of that that like the Hannibal Lecter character, I think, really resonated because it played on, you know, some people's real life experiences, but then also this idea of what kind of power does a therapist actually have and what happens if they go bad? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing is, like, to an extent, Silence of the Lambs and then the sequel Hannibal. Yes. I, um, those are vampire movies. I mean, the classic Dracula with the young maiden, the figure yeah. of evil went from being a vampire to an evil doctor, a psychopathic doctor. Jeez. And the and figure and the figure of purity went from being the virginal young woman um, to being the incorruptible cop. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they still had they still had the duality. Right, exactly. Um, and in the movie, Silence Lambs, he didn't seduce her sexually. He seduced her through what she wanted most, learning, advancement. Mm -hmm. To be the one who could do what, what other people couldn't do and actually get Hannibal Lecter to offer some useful information. Mm -hmm. Right. So she was both, in some senses, manipulated by him, but like in Dracula, you know, she had power over him. Because... Yeah. He gained some emotional dependence over her. Hmm. Um, wow. This is so, a very smart conversation. I'm really, I'm really, <laughs> no, I, I really am enjoying it because this is a fascinating, this would be a fascinating class. Mm -hmm. um, in, I would in totally computer. teach that class. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, and especially because it, you begin to see signs of why society has the stigma. Mm -hmm. You know, if if our if our creative, I mean, I, I don't know if our intellectual and creative canons like like exploited mental illness mm -hmm. that way. Oh yeah, pop culture always is always oh, yeah. exploited it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's crazy. I mean, it, you know, it's, it just adds to the stigma that you mm -hmm. know other religions have added to it, and the unknown has added to it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and how does this, and, and, and kind of, this is somewhat of an intellectual tangent, but how does this connect to like zombies? And oh, this that's, whole, an, that's an interesting question. Any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, this idea of being, 
you know, I don't know, transformed into something else. Um, savagery, savagery, like eating people. You um, become non-human. You become non-human. Mm-hmm. And what did they think of the mentally ill back in the day? Exactly. Mm-hmm. As they non-human. were non-human. Right. Mm-hmm. And even that fear that a person with a mental illness, illness might have, what if I really do lose control of myself? What happens if the mental illness gets bad enough? You know, and sometimes that happens, that a symptom right. will get bad enough that somebody can't really control their behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the zombie idea, I think, kind of exploits that mm-hmm. or ex- explores it, depending on the movie, of what would happen if something happened to you where, you know, it felt like your humanity was taken away and you didn't have control over yourself. Wow. I don't know, baby. I, and, I, so, and zombies are very much Dracula too because they bite you and what happens, uh-huh. you turn into one of them. Exactly. Right. And the only way to get rid of them is it, to stab them. In the head, mm-hmm. almost like a lobotomy. Mm-hmm. You remember Walking Dead? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the same narrative all, over yeah. and over again. Mm-hmm. Did either of you happen to see or read Warm Bodies? Warm Bodies? It was a, it was kind of a zombie parody mm-hmm. where wow. like um this uh, young man who was a zombie falls in love with a girl who is still human and they discover that if she can get to kind of the residual love in his brain, he starts to become more human. Oh, and that's starts to de-zombify. Oh, so um, you can unzombie somebody with love. That's the idea. Bit heavy-handed, but the other thing is um, her dad, who in the movie is played by John Malkovich, um, who's played many, many intriguing, rather vampire-esque predators. Right. Um, that's a whole different conversation, though. But the dad is opposed to it, obviously, because he's been a zombie hunter. His job is to kill zombies. Mm-hmm. And try to keep society safe from zombies because zombies are basically taking over because they can reproduce so fast. And then he finds out his daughter is into one and he's into her. And it's like zombie Romeo and Juliet in there. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. This is wild. Uh-huh. No, I've never heard of that movie before. It's pretty heavy. Yeah, we, we, have, to, we have to Google it. We'll have to find that. Yeah. The book is even funnier. Oh, great. Now there's a book. It's some, No, there's it. a book first. And it is really clever social satire, actually. That sounds hilarious. It really is. It's like like, a backward zombie movie. Okay, but contemplate some of the really just insipid things that are said to people who are having a mental health problem. Oh, you're having a panic attack? Just breathe. Just breathe. Hmm? There's also the... um, They were on so much medication, they were like Mm -hmm. a zombie. Right. Yeah, it's true. Uh Uh-huh. But this idea of like, you know... If we're equating zombies kind of as a symbol potentially of mental illness, then that whole, okay, all you need is love. Yeah. All you need is love. All you need is to breathe. Mm-hmm. Just just relax. And to yep. what extent, to what extent our language and our words and our and our colloquialism mm-hmm. in, um like inspires or promotes bias uh-huh. as it pertains to mental illness. We have to put those in check as well. Here we are again, basically a different subject, um, but the same thing. It, a marginalized group is easily marginalized. Right. Yeah. 
And we have been for centuries. For centuries. Mm -hmm. And our language. And it's very hard to undo it because it's been for so long. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's like, well, it's like when you hear people, I mean, and this is not to get sort of so loose in the conversation, but it's like when you hear people say, you know, oh my God, I'm feeling so schizophrenic today, or I'm feeling so bipolar, you know. Or so OCD. Or so OCD. Yeah. Oh my God, with the OCD. Yeah. yeah, everybody's OCD now. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like the new cool. Everybody's OCD and everybody's ADHD. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole ADHD thing comes from that from TikTok. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks they're self-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. Right. Which self-diagnosis is, you know, a reasonable thing to happen. And sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. At least it denotes some level of self-awareness. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I've had clients who came in and said, you know, hey, I've been, you know, I've seen things about ADHD or autism or something like that you know, on TikTok, on the internet somewhere, I read an article and it really resonated with me. But, you know, then they were coming to somebody who could help them check that out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, self-diagnosis is valid, especially with stuff like, you know, you see self-diagnosis a lot with mm -hmm. autism, especially in females um, and adults. Like if you, if it, if it didn't get caught when you were younger, um, because it's hard to get a diagnosis as an adult. Mm-hmm. It's a weird diagnosis. Oh, but- it is a weird diagnosis. But, I mean, think about us. We self-diagnose. You self-diagnosed me with something. something. You knew there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I, I didn't clearly know what it was. Right. But to what extent... Is that, is that the problem? Is self-awareness part of the problem? Like when one is self-aware that something is mentally wrong it, in them, mm-hmm. in a sense, without an official diagnosis, are we perpetuating the same problem mm-hmm. with, you know, demonizing mental illness through Halloween characters, you know? Mm-hmm. Like are we doing the same thing by being street therapists? Well, we're making it. People saying that it's, oh, I'm so OCD or the weather is bipolar makes it harder for those who have OCD or who have bipolar because it becomes some flip it kind of thing. It's not taken seriously. Right. And And so when you're talking to somebody and you're like, I I legit have OCD and I'm having these struggles and they look at you and be like, oh, everybody's a little OCD. Right. No, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. That's not Um, how that works. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, part of it is just that they're owning the title without actually having to experience any of the pain and frustration. Yeah, and not doing the research, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how a lot of people think OCD is, like, neat and tidy. Right. Or bipolar is just emotion. Big moods. You were were sad Mm one a few minutes ago, and now you're happy, so now you're bipolar. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. It feels like there's some relationship there to kind of that casual, flippant use of mental illness terms to like the casual flippant using mental Ill, um, health facilities as tourist attractions a hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Or a little more than a hundred years ago, but it's the same kind of flippancy. That's yeah, a very good point. And yeah, I, it's just not serious. It's not taken right. seriously. I can't imagine. Right. I just, I cannot simply imagine someone saying, Oh, I'm going to tour the so-and-so high school hospital for the criminally insane or for right. so-and-so psychiatric hospital because it's fun we're going on holiday yeah <laughs> we're gonna do that tour finally <laughs> of the so-and-so hospital for the criminally insane and you know they have that so-and-so there mm-hmm. i mean it just doesn't seem appropriate well and there you go every hospital was for 
the criminally insane. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Well, at least probably the entertaining ones were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are there, you know, in your research, mm -hmm. um, you know, are there any discussions in terms of ways to bend the arc on this, like change it, go back the other way. Listen, this is mental illness or these are the, what was it from our guy from, from Dubai? The George? No. Um, no uh, yeah. George. Um, it was oh the the dependables no the um the people of determination the determination. people of determination uh -huh. like where does how do you how do we get there amy i don't know how they got there i definitely have to look more into it but one of the biggest things with representation is just basic social psychology uh persuasion um showing people not only showing people things that kind of present things accurately but um one of the things that has most changed people's opinion about any kind of discrimination or any kind of kind of media error in the way they portray things is media education, the ability to pick apart a TV show and understand what messages you're getting from it. Yes. And in that, you don't have to even give up the TV show. You can still watch your trash TV. I know I've got mine, but you will understand it enough that you will not necessarily be unduly influenced by it. Hmm. This is very true. And that's all tied in with the idea of representation, to be able to read a book, look at a show and say, okay, this is super entertaining and I kind of like it, but there's some stuff about this is a, that's a little bit cringe and this is it. And so, you know, that kind of frees you up to watch the show or not watch the show as you prefer, but not to actually take those ideas into your head. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know what? There's many tropes that come out of this too. Uh -huh. I mean, this idea of the hysterical woman in the thirties. Right. Oh know? yeah, we were always hospitalized for hysteria. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, no. Sometimes you just got a doctor coming at you with a vibrator. Oh, that's true too. That was a way of treating. Did you not know that? He didn't know that. That was oh. um, one of the main ways that they treated okay. that they treated okay. hysteria in women. Okay. Look, Pause. it's because y'all didn't do it. Pause <laughs> and we had to rewind. go to the doctor. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was rewind. a medical procedure. Yeah. You know, this is the second time in the last four weeks that I've been stumped. The first time was a person who said, listen, I'm living with my boyfriend and his husband. And it wasn't that that it got me. It was the nature in which it was delivered out in the open. Like, mm -hmm. so, you know, just so casual, which is great yeah. in one hand, right? Alternative families. and uh, Got it. But. You just, I, mean, I did not know How the doctor did you came. Not know that? I had no idea. Was this because, like, I didn't take a feminist literature class? Probably. I, I should have. Probably. But oh. you didn't like the professor. No, I took gay and lesbian lit because I think that, like, you know, Rimbaud and, like, Rimbo and Ginsburg, like, all mm -hmm. were, like, pretty interesting. Um, when they stopped locking us up in the hospital because they found a cure, the cure was an orgasm. Get mm -hmm. out! No, you seriously, know, like, there was this Victorian fantasy that nice, polite women did not have sexualities. Yes. Right. They, just in, they just indulged the men so they could get babies. Yes. Ooh. And keep society together through respectable marriage. So not everybody believed that, but it was definitely one of the prominent ideas, like, if you were a respectable lady, you did not experience the desire for sex. And there were bad girls for your husband to go to if you seriously wanted to have some fun. His job was to get you a baby. 
So well, that you know, you only do it for for reproduction. Uh-huh. Yeah. I you know, honestly, I mean, I do believe in I do believe in I you know, I do believe in people conducting themselves with respect, mm-hmm. male or female or uh-huh. they or them. Could conduct yourselves with respectability mm-hmm. and maturity. But I had no idea that the doctor was coming with a vibrator saying, lay down, I'm going to take care of you. Well, they had their nice, polite metaphors. It was a release of psychological energy, a release of psychic energy, but psychic meaning psychological, not psychic. Um, They didn't actually admit it was anything sexual. No, it was never anything sexual. It was it was releasing the psychosis or releasing the hysteria. Right. And so the doctor's fingers were getting tired. So they quite frankly. Hence the invention of the vibrator so that the doctor's hands would stop cramping up. (laughs) But they were genuinely passing around this idea that because women didn't have sexuality and they just had some pent up stress that needed released and that something down there managed to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not wrong. Well, no, no, I mean, they're not. I mean, everyone knows what it's like. To be a little stressed out, I get it, but the fact that I would go to like, we would go to our family practitioner and be like, oh my God, oh my God, Dr. So-and-so, it's been really tough. Pull out the vibrator. You've got to make her relax Well, and, and release her energy. You know, the um, link between hysterics and hysterectomies, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're the same word. Uh-huh. We were hysterical because we had uteruses. Mm-hmm. And they floated around and didn't do what they were supposed to. Yeah, they just floated around and got trapped in stuff, and now we're hysterical. I think yes. the floating uterus has only happened in ancient Greece, though. Well, when trains were invented, when the locomotive was invented, mm-hmm. they didn't want women on them because they thought their uterus would fly out because of the speed. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Women were not allowed to. They didn't want women on the train. Eventually, that went away but yeah, yeah when they first came out they were scared that our uteruses were gonna fly out mm-hmm. now we've gotten way off topic so- <laughs> but it all has tentacles that uh-huh. it all goes back to the root uh-huh. of demonizing mental health uh and mental illness uh-huh yes that's a it's so i'm just thinking back to one of the later episodes of buffy and it was kind of a depressing season but um buff Long story short, Buffy had gotten killed the last season, and because it was in a fight with a demon, um, it's more complicated than that, but that's the basics, her friends all believed she'd gone to hell. And so they figured out how to raise her and bring her back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Buffy's the demon fighting one. And so the truth that she doesn't tell them for a while, her big secret is that she actually went to heaven and she was at peace. And they ripped her out of being at peace. Yeah. So she didn't tell them that for a while. And that was a big thing that was kind of ruining her relationships with them because she wouldn't tell them the truth. And the only people who understood her really, and even when they didn't understand the details, were some of the other monsters, like Spike. Yes. And that got super complicated. Um, Like that didn't didn't even look like fun. Um, but there was this whole idea that like when she was at her worst, when feeling her worst, um, because she lost something so beautiful 
it wasn't her friends that understood her. It wasn't her friends that she felt like she could talk to. And a big part of that was on her because she wasn't talking. She didn't tell them the truth about what was happening. But it was to the monsters on the show that she went, particularly this, the one had, that had been like her arch enemy for ages, but now they were talking and quite frankly, a lot more. Um, but then I think there were a lot of people who would go there with Spike. Um, <laughs> I'm not judging. But when she had a mental illness, she couldn't talk to her kind of normie friends. She had to go to the monsters in the show yeah. for empathy. Yeah, it was the- And even the then it got codependent. The only ones who understand you are the other monsters. Right. <laughs> or the ones that will keep you inferior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's funny. Our society is truly a reflection of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know. What ways do you think, Amy, that, I mean, I, 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 that we, can, we can change this narrative and change this, you know... I don't want to call it a trope. It's, you know, mm -hmm. the word trope seems so trite because everyone, you know, has gotten so learned these mm -hmm. days. But I, I just, I, you know, I just want to, how do we change things? How do we, how, how do we switch and change course? I think we're doing it. You know, we're sitting here telling true stories, bringing other people on who want to tell their true stories the way this actually happened. Right. You know, we're right. being pretty blunt about the pain. We're being, we're saying things like, okay, no, you don't get to claim the OCD title or the bipolar title because you're having a bad day or you're really tidy. You don't get to share in that when you're not sharing in the pain and the angst of it. Um, you know, we're telling all these truths and I think that's one of the biggest things we can do. And, you know, as, you know, mental health advocacy gets bigger and bigger, um, I'm definitely not the only professor who's introducing it into their classes anymore. It's an actual thing. Um, a while back on season two, we had Hunter Keegan on. And oh, a couple of teachers yes. had actually assigned his book. No kidding. So he's had his book assigned in abnormal psych classes a couple of times. And my abnormal psych students have assignments. I give them suggestions, but they're not limited to those of, mm -hmm. you know, books they can take a glance at or like blogs, podcasts they can listen to. Um, so that alongside all the stuff in their textbook, they're seeing the exact same things sometimes from the point of view of people who have that illness and are writing or speaking about it. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that, um, you know, introducing that as a valid part of the story enough that it belongs in a classroom, I think is gonna be important because the voice of people with mental illness being right alongside the researchers and therapists and teachers. And, you know, the times when there people definitely match more than one of those identities. At my grad school, there was a teacher who was very open about the fact that she had bipolar disorder and sometimes had to take time off for it. Um, Interesting that she was able to keep a, uh to maintain her career as well yeah. with, with it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so, go ahead. I just think that like the work that you're doing here to get kind of the true stories out, present people with mental illness as complete human beings, mm -hmm. not right. just defined by their illness, even though that's an important part of them. I think that is the work that's going to change things. 
A friend of mine who lives in Brussels said the same thing uh-huh. in a way. He, he said, you know, you guys just keep doing the show. Mm-hmm. Keep doing the show because eventually, you know, it doesn't matter. At some point, it's going to be a canon for the mm-hmm. subject matter. Like people right. are going to reference it and like mm-hmm. and listen to it because right. it, it'll, it'll last through or, you know, eternity or at least yeah. while we are still in existence. Right. And it will no- it will just normalize I think in a way that people actually want to voluntarily listen to this idea that when we're talking about mental illness, that the voices of people with mental illness should be found right alongside the voices of doctors, researchers, and so forth. And treating that as casual and normal. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what's interesting about Uh the last couple years since you've been with us is to be able to or the last four seasons, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, you know, that we've been all together, mm-hmm. like we've been able to have these very real people with top researchers or, cl- you know, clinicians, mm-hmm. and to really show, you know, a human side and an cl- academic side. I mean, it's been an honor to be able to do something like that. Oh, it's been an honor and a lot of fun. Yes. So do you have any closing thoughts? We're coming up, uh, we're just at the top of the hour. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll, after this, we'll transition into the proverb of the week. But mm-hmm. Do you have any closing thoughts? Just that when you're watching a horror movie, like, I love horror movies. So I am definitely not trying to demonize horror movies. Um, I was the kid who was, like, cleaning the children's section of the library out of all the books that had ghosts and vampires in them. <laughs> People worried. So I love horror, always have. Um but when you're watching something like that and there's a therapist or somebody with mental illness in it, go ahead, enjoy, but then also do that media education type thing where you think about, okay, what are they trying to tell me about people with mental illness? What are they trying to tell me? And I just think there's something interesting to explore about the therapist as villain just because sometimes people have real reasons to fear therapy. Yeah. And that's something we need to explore. Yes. Absolutely. Why the therapist is so easily cast as villain and can be somebody people are afraid of. That is, you're absolutely right. And we definitely sounds, sounds like to me, uh, this is room for a panel discussion actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a conversation we should definitely con- continue to have. Well, yeah. thanks once again, our co-host, uh, Dr. Amy Doremus, um, for uh, taking us through this journey, The mm-hmm. Horrors of Halloween. I think that should be the name of the show this week. Okay, you can change it. The ho- what, what did you name it? You just named it The Halloween Show. Oh, no, The Horrors of Halloween. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that'll be it. Um, all right, so let's 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 move into our proverb of the week or two weeks now. So I don't have a proverb, but I do have a quote in line with our Halloween theme. So it's from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Nice. And it is there is something at work in my soul which I do not understand. Which I like because that can also equate to mental illness. Mhm. Yeah, that's true. Amy, what are your perspectives? So much. Like, (laughs) one of the things that I talk about a lot with patients is how there is no such thing as a bad trait. There is a trait that's taken to an extreme. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the traits that are troubling you now are going to have a positive flip side. And like with that quotation, both of them may be in your soul. 
something in your soul that you don't understand could be something nightmarish, but the exact same trait, maybe less extreme or taken in a different direction, could be one of your greatest strengths. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Wow. I, 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 you know, for me, when I was thinking of that, and I was like, at first, I'm like, oh, I'm drawing a blank. But I think the biggest one is, is that there's always, there are always things inside us that we are not quite aware of until the appropriate moment. Mm-hmm. And I think throughout life, as we go and we hit these milestones and these benchmarks, there are certain things inside of us that actually come to light and come to fruition or um, that take, that will take you into your true destiny. And I think the only thing that's different between someone who is successful or have achieved their destiny or someone who is unsuccessful is the ability to be sensitive and open to it. And I think mm-hmm. that with that little quote sort of is sort of harkened or sort of, you know, smacking of is be open, be open to those things that are within you because your genetic code is a, is a book. It's a story. And, uh, but it also could be a recipe for your existence in your future. Mm-hmm. Y'all are way deeper than I am because to me it was just like, I remember being sick before I was diagnosed and mm-hmm. not understanding what was wrong. Yeah. And that was scary. That's oh, still pretty deep. That's pretty deep. <laughs> you actually had to go deeper. Yeah, you had to dig, you had to been, you pull back all those layers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's very, that's very cool. Well, thank you very much for uh, this week's interview. Again, thank you, Amy. Um, honey, what's the song of the week? This oh, week? because it's Halloween, we have somebody's watching me. Fun. Yes. All right. Have a great Halloween. By the time this show airs, it will be Halloween. Yes, so folks, it will. Are you, what are you dressing up as, uh, Amy? Unfortunately, a therapist. I have to work that night. No. Well, enjoy this song and eat some candy on us. Thank you. Average life.